Welcome back to the All Outdoors Photography Podcast, where we share experiences out in the field and educate others through landscapes, wildlife, macro, and more with photographers from around the world. And in today's solo episode, we're going to be talking about my trip to Alaska, um, specifically Nome, Alaska, um, mm-hmm. and we'll just get right into it. Um, so this, this trip, a little background information, it's been planned for a long time, um, ever since I pretty much started high school. Well, started high school and started photography um i was um, lucky enough to have my my parents say they'd uh take me on one of these trips for a, a graduation gift um so you know i was looking you know a long time ago trying to find something um and i knew i wanted to go to alaska um that was kind of at the top of the list um but, you know, I kind of took a different view of things. I wanted to get some of the the birds of Alaska. You know, when people think of Alaska, they tend to think of the, you know, the moose and the bear. And those are great. And, you know, it's on my list at some point. But um, it was really the exotic birds um, and, you know, the scenery and everything that I was, I was looking for. Um, so I found this gnome one in September. Um, you know, kind of booked it pretty quickly. It was through Joseph Van Os Photo Safaris. Really good company. Highly recommend them. Um, and Nome just, I mean, it seemed like one of the bird hotspots in America, honestly, and it, it definitely was. Um, yeah, so this, this took place, uh, a month ago. Um, it was quite the logistics to get there. Four flights, which is a lot. Um, wow. two of those flights being five hours plus. Um, so the first day it was three flights in one day, you know, all the way to Anchorage from Louisville, Kentucky. We spent the night in Anchorage, um. Anchorage is a pretty big city, actually, surprisingly for Alaska, um, but it's still beautiful. So literally, like, we stayed at a hotel by the airport, and then it was about a five-minute walk, and we went to this amazing, like, seaplane airport. It was, I, I don't know if you've ever seen a seaplane take off, Ryan, but it is so cool. I can only imagine. I mean, I think I, yeah. I, think I have an idea of it, but I bet with that, like, Alaska backdrop was pretty cool. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> Good way to start it off. Um, and in that lake alone that airport seaplane airport there were like redneck greaves and you know red-throated loons and all kinds of stuff that you know already lifers and even the magpies were cool to me um and, you know on the tour i got a little bit of hate for wanting to photograph magpies but i was like hey i don't get them where i live so uh, <laughs> are, are magpies but, pretty common there oh my god they're like robins yeah oh seriously and their tails their tails are like huge huge I actually never got a photo of a magpie, fun fact, somehow. Um, but, you know, really cool to see there. Yeah. Um, and still, in that, that first night in Anchorage, um, I found a bog, um, literally five minutes from the airport as well. Um, a lot of mosquitoes, but a juvenile bald eagle um, landed right in front of me, literally. Um, it started on a branch, and then it flew down to the water's edge. Um, and this is the closest I've ever gotten to an eagle. So that was like, wow, this is Alaska. It, it's kind of that thing that set off the trip. Um, it was really cool, for sure. That's awesome. So all the all that occurred in like the first day or so. About in a span of two hours. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I was exhausted. So you know, I wanted to do. I didn't want to do any hikes or anything in Anchorage. I didn't really want to explore Anchorage. I just wanted to stay by my hotel. And still all of that happened. Because uh, four flights and a time change, it's a four-hour time difference. So it takes a lot out of you, for sure. Yeah, I can only imagine with that, too. But, yeah, I mean, that, that's really cool. You got almost, like, this almost, like, easy access to these, like, cool birds and stuff that you saw, like, pretty readily available. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. And it's just so, the parks are so beautiful. You know, it's like a, it looks like a remote kind of, like, large park and you know our side of the country and there that's an urban park for them so just super cool to see for sure yeah how much of like alaska is truly wilderness area uh it's most of it really um i don't know the percentage but i mean if you put alaska in the united states it takes up like like 10 states it's that big mm-hmm. um and you've got all the different habitats you've got the, the rainforest uh, or nuts. Well, I guess it is. Some of it's a rainforest. Some of it's a boreal forest. You've got the tundra, which we'll we'll get into a lot. And you've got the true Arctic. Um, just all kinds of 
so many different environments. It's truly the last wild place in America. Even the towns, you know, are very wild. So, you know, even Anchorage, you drive 20 minutes outside of Anchorage, you're at a glacier or you're at a, you know, you're at a beautiful, like, mudflat beach that spans for, like, 10 miles, you know. Uh, so it's it's amazing, for sure. You could definitely do a the whole photography trip out of Anchorage. I think next time I go to Alaska, um, you know, I might consider doing that. You just stay at a hotel in Anchorage and you got all this stuff around you, too, so... Yeah, that, that's really cool. Yeah, so is the the company you mentioned that you, like you booked it through? Are, are they about photography? Are they about like birding specifically? Like, what what are they about? Um, so I think they do some birding, but this is um, definitely a photography centric tour, um, and it's marketed as birds and muskox. So we focused on both. Um, definitely a little more heavily on birds because um, you know our guide, great guide, his name is Eric Rock. Uh, he took our opinions and about what we wanted to see um and muskox are a little bit easier to find obviously <laughs> i mean they're like what like a hundred times bigger than birds um, and we'll get into those but um it was kind of both of those which was great um, and that attracted some serious birders and also people that were really interested in the muskox uh, which is really cool yeah um yeah so it's it's great yeah and i think they do birding specific tours too and you know landscape all kinds of stuff it's the actually the oldest photography tour company ever it's like the wow. first one so hmm. they know how to do them for sure <laughs> they're established and experienced yeah yep yeah that's really sure. cool that's interesting though how it's like birds and then it's like this completely different animal too um are muskox <laughs> like really really common uh yeah so i mean muskox are everywhere and no uh, but before before I get to that, I do want to like tell you a little bit about the town of Nome because it is crazy how like small it is, and how weird not weird but how different it is than even Anchorage. Um, so the flight there surprisingly was on a normal sized plane, you know, like your seven thirty seven, um, and then you land at the airport. The airport's like literally like every couple hours they have to like clear muskox off of the the runway. Because there's, you know, there's no fences. It's just an open runway. You land there. You, you, there's no gate. You just get out, and then they put you in a garage. And then the garage is basically the airport. I mean, it is the tiniest airport you've ever seen. <laughs> Probably seven-foot ceilings, which if you've been to an airport, I mean, they're normally like 40-foot ceilings. So it was, <laughs> it was really crazy. Um, and you, as you're... You know, as you get there, you drive through the town, it looks like an apocalypse, literally. Like, so Nome is not accessible by road. So you have to get there by boat or plane. Um, and only plane in the winter, of course, because it's frozen over. Um, so people are living in shipping crates. Um, there's houses jumbled out of different materials. Like, there's no houses that are just one consistent material. Um, which is really weird, but it's really cool. Um, even the mining boats aren't actual boats. They're like a combination of like tires and oil, like barrels, and it's, it is so weird. But it is really cool. <laughs> How much of this did you like know ahead of time before you you know went to Nome? I knew how small Nome was. I didn't know what like it would look like. Um, but I mean, our hotel looked like that on the outside, but on the inside, it was very modern, very clean. Uh, so they they know how to do good insides. It's just they have a lack of materials. I mean, they're you know it's not like they're you know primitive people or anything. I don't want to make it sound like that. They're just normal people, but they just don't have the supplies to build you know normal houses. Um, and yeah, it's it's really is a great town. And you know we ate at a lot of restaurants there throughout the week. Probably rotated between six. We uh, we did lunch and uh, dinner every day. And all the restaurants had plenty of food, you know, really good food, too. Um, it was still very modern. Even um, recently, they got a public Wi-Fi um, for the whole town, uh, which was good because I, I could stay fairly connected when I was in town. Uh, I wasn't sure about that. Uh, and, yeah, the town is very, very small, uh, 3,000 people. Um, I'd say there's probably... A thousand in town, and then there's some spread out over the tundra um, and along the coast um, for fishing purposes. Um, 
but yeah, that's that's basically the town of Nome. So that's that's really interesting, though. I mean, circling back to you saying about like their houses and everything, like are they just kind of like scavengers in a way? Is it just kind of like whatever raw materials they have around that they just build these shelters out of? Yeah, I mean, they're not even necessarily scavenging. I mean, a lot of there's a there's building companies there that build. They just don't have the supplies, um, so they'll. You know the building companies will build out these supplies. Like the, the houses are winterproof. I mean, they're uh, besides the fishing shanties for the people who come just for the summer. The actual houses are built for the winter. They're you know elevated up above the permafrost and everything. They're just you know kind of cobbled together, which is really really cool to see. Hmm. Yeah, it's almost like commons, uh, especially with that like size of the town itself. I bet everyone kind of like knows each other in a way too. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, they will definitely tell if you're not from Nome. I mean, they <laughs> if they don't know your name, they know you're yeah. a tourist. First name um, but basis. very, very friendly. Because, um, I mean, the Nome economy is built around mining, fishing, and photography. Um, and also the dog sled race, the famous Iditarod, ends in Nome um, in the winter. Uh, but that's the main things. So they welcome the birders. Um, you know, they give out advice, um, you know. Make sure there's a table large enough for your group and everything. So very accommodating for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's really cool. Yeah, that's that's probably the, I mean the friendliest people I've ever met. Probably some of the. I mean they're just so down to earth and you know. Yeah, willing to share their knowledge about the local wildlife and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say about the the muskox. So for the birds. Um, you have to travel out far. I mean, uh, we would drive 50 to 100 miles a day. Uh, I'll talk about the three roads. Uh, but for the birds, you you got to go far uh, to find the, the rarities. But for the muskox, they love town. And I even the guide didn't know. We couldn't figure out the reason why they stayed so close to town. They're not hunted, so they're not scared of humans. Um, but, I, you know, they don't eat any human foods so that they just feed on the willows um so but for some reason they love sticking around town um so muskox were kind of they weren't easy um because they'll they'll run away um even if you like get out of your van in some scenarios uh but you know it's kind of the thing you can do we could do at the beginning of a shoot or the end of the shoot um and you know we wouldn't have to spend hours on them which is nice because they're they're beautiful animals but you can only take so many shots of a muskox. Like, uh, it's good to have them, you know, kind of more accessible. That was kind of your easy species to to get, which is crazy because in like Norway, um, where they also have them, I think it's Norway, I'm pretty sure. Um, you know, you'll have to like, you know, hike hundreds of miles in the wilderness. So, if you're looking for muskox photography, this is the place to do it. Um, and the, the natives love them and everything, so. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, how long did it take you to get, let's say, like, bored of, like, even photographing them? Or were you, like, were you, like, experimenting with different compositions or lighting or stuff like that? Well, so I, I never got bored, per se. Um, okay. Every, actually, it was pretty cool. Um, every scenario we shot a muskox in was different. The first day, um, it was very distant, very far off. Um, so that was kind of cool. Um, and then that same night, we got them on top of a gravel pit, um, fairly close. The calves uh, were out, had just been born, so that was cool. Um, and yeah, that was a good scenario. And many other scenarios, uh, but the best scenario was on the very last day. Oh my god, I mean, it was insane. They were right close to us, we stayed on the road, you know, you're not, you don't chase after muskox, they're not dangerous per se, but... They get disturbed very easily. So we stayed on the road, um, and they literally came right up to us. I mean, we got full-frame shots with, like, golden light hitting their eyes. Um, and at that point, I was like, my muskox portfolio is complete. <laughs> uh, and we, we moved a little bit and even got backlit. So I got, like, the fur of the muskox um, illuminated by the golden hour sun. Um, and, I'll, you know, it was just insane. So... That the muskox part of the tour was definitely fulfilled, um, and you know I'll I'll get into the birds too, but it's just really cool to see these animals that you can see nowhere else in the U.S. Yeah, that, that's really really cool. Just the the cool lighting opportunities and how it, it kind of like came full circle. Even though you saw 
quite a bit. It's like that last stage, yeah. getting like the the portfolio shots of them too. Yep. And I need to talk about the lighting too. I forgot to mention, it is golden hour and gnome for eight hours a day, so it is, it is insane. I, actually, I'd probably even say more than eight hours. It's probably ten hours a day. Um, so talking about our schedule, um, we would get up about um, we'd leave about six a.m. Um, because although the sun rises around four thirty five a.m., there's huge mountains. Um, so the mountains will block the sunrise for a while. Um, and I was disappointed at that when I heard about that at first, but then I realized it's just always golden hour. Um, so we had no clouds all week, and that was actually perfect. You can shoot at both um, 6 a.m. in golden light, and you can also shoot at about 10.30 in almost the same quality of golden light. It, I mean, it. my ISO did not go over 800, and... I, I know that sounds crazy to say, but even with high shutter speeds, it did not go over 800. I mean, it was amazing. Amazing. I mean, that, I, I imagine it's, you get kind of like spoiled by that kind of thing, too. I mean, you know, where, oh, yeah. where we're from, it's like you're lucky to get the golden hour and maybe like a little bit and then some, you know, in between that as a buffer. But like, yeah, that's just, huh. I, I couldn't even <laughs> imagine that. Oh, I mean, it was just, it was it was so cool, and it just allowed you to not, you know, besides the mountains, there's there were no clouds, which is just very lucky, so you don't have to worry about losing the light, you know, you can spend your time with the subject, really work on it, um, because, you know, in, like, morning shoots where we live, there's a element of desperation. If you don't find that subject, you know, right as the light is rising, especially in the summer, you're kind of screwed, like, you... You really got to be quick, uh, but in gnome, it you know it really allowed you to slow down. Yeah, I'm kind of curious though. How does like that sort of I guess with the lighting and everything in the times of day, how does that like affect the wildlife? Like, are like crepuscular like species are they more active like throughout the day just because it is eight or ten hours, or like like how does that like affect like the birds and mammals? That's that's the interesting thing. Um, with the birds, um, they're active kind of in the same cycle that they are here in the morning and evening time, mm -hmm. uh, obviously with the time change. But anyway, they're basically on that, you know, really active early in the morning and late in the evening, uh, except for a few exceptions. Um, and, you know, I can, once I get into some of the specific species, I can, I can go into that. Um, but for most birds, it was the morning and evening. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and then the muskox, uh, they would definitely active, I think, the most, uh, really the most in the evening and the early, early morning. Um, so, like, my portfolio muskox shots that I was talking about, uh, that was, like, uh, let's see what time. Um, it was 5.30 a.m. Um, so, you know, that was really early. Some light had just kind of hit because there was an obstruction because it was in town. Um, and, you know, during the day they'll sleep and they'll move around a little bit, but you can definitely tell they're slower and everything. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, how, how, how big were like those, I don't know what you call them, like herds or the groups of those musk, musk ox in particular? I never saw less than about 15. Wow. Normally like 20 to 30. So that, it was really cool. <laughs> that must've been something surreal to see, but you know, I bet they're, they're probably like pretty habituated people if they came up close to you. They are they are not habituated to people. Really? I would not say that. no. Um, the they came close to us that last time, only because we were kind of using the van as a blind, you know, kind of peeking right. around um, right. and staying on the road. But normally, you know, we would try to sometimes walk down a trail, and they would be a hundred feet away, or probably no, two hundred feet away, and they would run away. They're pretty darn scared of people, so that you know, you have to work for the shots and. You know, it took us a whole week to really get the amazing muskox shots. Like, it's it's hard to get that close, for sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's understandable then. Yeah. Yeah, but it made it, you know, feel more worthwhile, so it was good. Yeah, good give, give chase to yeah. them in such a way. Not literally. Yeah. But. Yeah, so uh, maybe tell us more about the birds, because I know that's probably the biggest draw for you going to Alaska here. Yeah, so I'm, I'll just go through... Uh, the species uh, that were my highlights. Redneck phalaropes, uh, oh my gosh, so cute. Um, 
they're literally the size of a rubber ducky, you know, those tiny little ones, uh, which is just amazing. Um, we got first night a good opportunity with them. It's super cool. Uh, this was taken at um, 4 p.m., and it was golden hour. Well, not golden hour. It was golden light, which is crazy. Uh, so that that was awesome. Um, that same day, we saw the rarest bird I saw. I got a not-so-good photograph of it, more of a documentary shot. Um, and we weren't sure we would see this. This is a yellow wagtail um, from Asia. Very rare bird, like extremely rare. Um, definitely something to have on your life list, for sure. Uh, so that was cool. Um, so striking yeah, plumage. Like, what what makes it rare in particular? I mean, is it just is it threatened or anything in that state? It is only ever spotted in Nome, in North America, and it's not spotted every. Uh, I think it is spotted every year, but it's not spotted every like, every like, it's spotted like every three weeks or something. Interesting. Um, so so like, what what's what's Nome like the main draw for? Like, what habitat is it like attracted to? I t- totally forgot to mention that, but Nome is a, a tundra. Uh, oh, okay. The tundra is literally the most amazing environment I've ever experienced. Um, it's the softest mosses and the most beautiful tundra flowers, um, amazing rocks, um, and it's surrounded by beautiful mountains with willows, um, and the willows only get about 10 feet max, so you can imagine how good that is for bird photography because uh, they'll be nice and low. Uh, and all these birds, you know, come here to breed. Um, shorebirds, especially, love to breed on the mountaintops, uh, which, man, that's an experience, seeing a shorebird on a mountain. Um, and then the, the smaller birds will, you know, go in the willows. Uh, so, yeah, this yellow wagtail really enjoyed the willows here. And then amongst the tundra, um, there's the tundra ponds, which are amazing. Uh, they're red-threaded loon. <coughs> Red-throated loons, um, which were very skittish, but if you took your time, you know, laid down, we even put up a little blind, um, they would come close. Um, definitely more skittish with common loons than common loons. I've done a lot of a lot with common loons, but um, very striking birds, very creepy actually. Their calls, um, but really cool to photograph, and much bigger than a common loon too. Yeah. So, so like, how many of these birds you mentioned so far, and you know, hereafter, like, how many of them were you seeking out in particular versus, like, ones you kind of, like, had to identify or something, like, as you saw them? Um, so our guide um, was with us pretty much the whole time. Um, the yellow wagtail was spontaneous, but the rest of them, we kind of requested them so far that I mentioned. We kind of came across the yellow wagtail while we were shooting the loons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was really cool. Um, Western sandpipers were everywhere. You saw flocks of them, um, and they were in breeding plumage, which was very beautiful. Um, one of the roads, uh, which is, let's see, uh, Safety Sound, um, is like the road, or no, it's called Safety Harbor Road, and it goes around along the Safety Sound. Uh, it reminded me of kind of like a you know, kind of like Metzger Marsh and McGee, uh, at McGee Marsh, you know, kind of like a wildlife, uh, waterfowl refuge. There were thousands of tundra swans, um, common eiders, which are really cool to see. Uh, we got some tundra swans taking off, um, and that's along the ocean. So there's the sound on the left, the ocean on the right. Um, so we photographed, you know, Arctic terns on the ocean. Uh, so that was really cool. Um, and, it's just a beautiful place. I even saw a dead walrus, which I've never seen a walrus, uh, but seeing a dead one was really cool. That's one way to see it, yeah. <laughs> we, we were hoping a bear would come on its carcass, um, but unfortunately it did, we did not see a bear. But, uh, but you know, the, that always attracts stuff like that. Um, so we did keep an eye on that. Yeah. Um, there was another road. Uh, it was called Teller Road. Um, Teller was just kind of your traditional uh, tundra, a little less mountainous than the other road I'll talk about. Um, along there, you had a bunch of um, thrushes, so this, uh, like a northern water thrush. Uh, beautiful mountain views. 
Um, the mountains are just stunning. The landscape opportunities are unparalleled too. Uh, I believe it's the Sawtooth Mountain Range, uh, and then you know you, you combine that with the reds, the red, <laughs> can't speak the reds and the greens and the yellows of the tundra uh, because it is spring, not summer. Um, you get some really good landscapes, um, and if you go up, there are off the main roads there are a couple of mountain roads. At the top of these mountains are breeding birds. So you've got these like semi-palmated plovers, uh, which are just stunning. I mean, really pretty birds, really pretty. I mean, I've worked with piping plovers, but semi-palmated are, like, in my opinion, like my favorite kind of uh, plover for sure. Um, Western sandpipers were even up on mountains. Uh, I got one shot in particular where there's like a mountain with snow behind it, and I'm really happy with that kind of the rust color, uh, green plumage of the westerns. Um, and, you know, kind of just along the way, too, just experimenting with some macro stuff, uh, you know, capturing the tundra flowers uh, with a wide angle, you know, just really getting low. Uh, the American golden plover was in breeding plumage. Um, I got a really cool shot with, like, the colorful purple flowers of a mountaintop um, with the golden plover, uh, in those flowers, um, you know, it was just, it's really cool to see shorebirds on top of mountains. You don't see that anywhere else. What was like, what was, I guess, attracting them to like being on top of the mountain? Was it just kind of, why not? I mean, like, is there a reason why it was up there? Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's kind of a misconception out there about breeding of shorebirds. People think they do it on beaches. Um, some do, like I know piping clovers do, but the migrating shorebirds that will, you know, travel way up to Alaska and the Arctic and whatnot, uh, they like the higher elevation. Uh, they'll land up there because it's, you know, it's easier to see. Um, it's safer up there. You know, there's less likely to be a, a grizzly up there or a fox, especially, you know, foxes will definitely go after shorebirds or a wolf up there. Um, so they like the higher elevations. Okay. Uh, yeah, that makes that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It is something cool to see. I even saw a snipe on a tree, um, which is really cool. I had never seen a shorebird on a tree. Um, and let's see. I also saw a uh, Louisiana water thrush up there. Um, Good bird. Which is pretty crazy. Uh, now, the, the main thrush and my target bird for the trip uh, was the blue throat. Oh my god, the blue throat is just insane. The blue throat migrates from Russia. Um, it only comes to Nome in North America. It's also in some parts of Europe. Um, the blue throat was a challenge. Um, that was the bird I was talking about that's active later in the day. Though it didn't become active until about 10 o'clock a.m. 10 a.m. And this is where having a guide really came into play. Uh, so by having a guide, he knew the blue throat spot. So we go to the blue throat spot, you set up, you have to wade into a willow forest, so the willows are above you, and you, you just have to hide in the willows, um, find an area near water, listen for the blue throat call, and just hope it comes in. Um, and we waited for hours, um, and it was worth it. Um, we had three different distinct opportunities. First one, um, I was the only person that got a blue throat photo, because I had a window between bushes, so I was pretty lucky there. Um, and we, we did eventually come back, um, got much closer to the blue throat, um, with the beautiful willows, um, it was still pretty far away, so I, I was using my teleconverter and the crop mode of my camera, um, so that gives me about 1200 millimeters, um, but that allowed me to get, like, a good portfolio shot that I'm happy with, with the blue throat. And once again, I mean, Nome is not, you don't just go to Nome and get all these birds. You know, you can see them all, but you don't get amazing photos. You have to put in the effort. I mean, you, you wait for hours, you hide, sometimes uncomfortably. You know, you have to hide in ditches or, uh, you know, build your own blind and, and wait. But it's worth it because the photos are unique to you and your group. Um, and it's really remote, so... Yeah, that's, that's really, really cool. You, you, I mean, you really turned me on to this blue throat bird. I, I never had seen one before, like in person or a photo, and like, I'm just I'm just such a fan of it. I'm like, I have to see this one in person someday. This is really cool yeah, bird. It's got to be one of my favorite birds now. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, and how... their in-flight display. Oh my god, their flight display is amazing. They they just fly up way up in the air, so they'll fly right over you, and then they'll dive down. I mean, there'd be times where we're waiting, you know, for a perch in front of us. We've kind of gathered out a perch that we'd like for the blue throat, and they'll land right behind us. Um, my friend Mike from the workshop, one landed basically on his head, like right next to it. Uh, didn't touch his head, but was basically right there. Um, and they'll tease you, but eventually they'll give you a shot. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. Um, this is a little bit of a tangent of a question, but like how, how big was your group and like what was like the, the demographic? Like were there a lot of like older people? Like how was the skill level of photography? Like what was all that like? So it, it was interesting. It was an eight-person group, including the guide. Um, everybody there was over the age of 40, except for me. I expected that. That's that's the deal with all workshops. No matter who you do it with, no matter what, it's mostly older people. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed it. I'd say probably three of them were um, very serious photographers like me. You know, we'd always get low. You know, despite their age, they'd still, you know, get eye level everything, put in the effort. And, you know, there was others that, you know, like to do more stand-up shooting and whatnot. Uh, but everybody definitely had an interest in birds and wildlife. Um, and it was a great group overall. You know, it's good, it's good to talk to older people. You, you learn a lot. Um, I, I genuinely made some great friends. Um, you know, I, made a, I met a friend. Uh, he lives in Boise. Um, I'm definitely going to visit him there at some point just because he was a, a great, great photographer and a, a great uh, friend along the trip. That's really cool. Yeah, I mean, like when you spend that much time with like the same group of people, it's like no doubt you're going to make connections that way too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, at the end of one of the roads, Cougarock Road, which is a little bit more mountainous, um, there was this bet, probably the best landscape opportunities of the lake of the week. It was called um, Frozen Salmon Lake. Um, it was still partially frozen. Um, I even got a shot with moose tracks in the foreground um, in this beautiful, beautiful landscape uh, with this lake and this wrapped around glacier. And it really kind of turned me back on the landscapes again, um, which, you know, I haven't shot a lot in the past year. Um, so it was good to kind of get back into that. And it was just stunning, you know, kind of getting some Sunstar stuff. Um, just, you know, amazing, amazing. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, you mentioned about, like, with this trip, your intentions were really on birds, but, I mean, like, how was it switching it up and doing landscapes for a little bit? Oh, I mean, it was awesome. Awesome. I mean, it was so photogenic. Um, you know, I but I even slowed down, you know, I, because we had a van to travel around in, and I could bring my tripod everywhere, so just grab the tripod from the car, I'd have a wide angle of the bag, didn't use it often, but when I did, I could just snap it on, um, got some amazing landscapes. Um, there's even some old houses out in the middle of the tundra that I kind of included in the landscape. Um, so stuff like that was really fun to play with too. Yeah, that, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Kind of, kind of breaks up the variety a little bit too, but it, you know, I, I can't, you can't go wrong with just like Alaska and scenery, I think too. Yeah. Um, another highlight was the red poles, common red poles, really charismatic birds. Um, once they land in your area, they'll stick around for like 20 minutes um, so I think I took like a thousand red pole shots um, in just one scenario um, and they're just stunning and we got you know it, there's a variation with pretty much every individual you'll see and the guy that was really friendly with us was like red and pink and just stunning and he came super close um, and we all really got some great shots you know kind of including the willows which are great perches um, and some of them kind of the blue mountains at the backgrounds. Uh, so it was really cool, for sure. That's cool. Yeah, what, what was bringing that like that particular bird in close? Was it like a food source or something? Um, I'm not totally sure. I mean, we, we heard him in the area and we saw him flying around. So I mean, you, you basically just have to kind of wait and watch at that point. Right. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, that's still, uh, still a good bird, of course. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, Wildlife-wise, um, I saw my first fox. I got a photo I'm pretty happy with. On top of a mountain was kind of some brambly uh, trees. Um, it was super cool to see that fox. Um, he wasn't really scared of us. He just kind of slowly made his way up the mountain and kind of looked back at us and opened his mouth and 
got some great photo opportunities and once again it's my first time to see a fox so that, that was pretty darn cool hello yes oh sorry just making sure i thought i cut off no you're good sorry okay <laughs> um then uh that same day we saw the fox got really close to long-tailed ducks which those are cool and pretty rare ducks um, got the male and female landing in a tiny tundra pond uh, weren't scared of us whatsoever um, and it was super close um, was even able to include some mountains, you know, zoom in, zooming out to 100 millimeters. Uh, got some video. I got a video of them taking off at 120p. Uh, that was super cool. Probably my favorite waterfowl moment from the trip. Definitely. That's really cool. Yeah. How many of like these bird species are migratory? I mean, you mentioned the blue throat coming from like Russia in particular, but like, how many of these are like year-round residents there in Alaska? The only year-round resident I can think of is the ptarmigan, and that's it. Because really? the rest of them, yeah, because they can't survive. Uh, All right. Okay. Some are migratory, some are breeding, you know, for the summer. Uh, but most of them can't survive in the harsh conditions. Interesting. Yep. Um, now, one day, our tire broke down 100 miles from town. That was pretty scary for a bit. Um, because if nobody came, I mean, we'd have to spend the night out there. Um, and we were by a patch of willows, which that's where the bears live. They live in the willows. We even saw bear scat. Um, so our, our tire did broke da break down. Um, so we just, you know, decided to make the most of it. Um, we had the most beautiful dinner I've ever had. Um, we There's a subway in town, believe it or not. So we picked up subway, had a picnic. Um, and we all just, you know, ate on the side of a mountain, kind of looking out at Nome. Um, like I said, best dinner I've ever had. Uh, you know, we had a lot of free time. Eventually, people did come. Um, but um, as I was waiting, I did some more macro work. Um, just the most stunning flowers you'll ever see. Um, really tiny. Um, and you can really do some cool stuff with background separation and everything. Um and also worked with a uh, golden crown sparrow. Uh, hadn't photographed this bird ever. Um, they're bigger than most sparrows, which is pretty cool. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Kind of made a, you know, kind of made a bad situation into a, a good one. So. Yeah, it's like I guess if there's like some silver lining to it, you're just like making. Yeah, you're taking a bad situation and doing some good with it. So taking your mind off it a little bit. So. Did you happen to get, I mean, obviously you're here now, but like, how, how was the outcome of that particular incident? Yeah, we had a, a person, there's always people in the summer driving back and forth, so about an hour and a half later, we had a person come by and be gracious enough to, it was our wrench, we didn't have the right size wrench, so he let us use his wrench, mm -hmm. and, you know, just the most friendly people, and um, we we just, uh, we turned around, and you know, we still shot on the way back, but uh, yeah, we got a new tire the next day, and it was all good. That's good, yeah. Yep. Um, on the way back, um, we got, you know, we saw a bunch of willow ptarmigan all week, uh, which are kind of like the size of a chicken. Um, and they're the Alaskan state bird. Um, and they are so skittish. Definitely the most skittish subjects um, I've worked with, um, in Alaska at least. Um, so I, I was able to get one sequence where... I literally crawled on my stomach for 30 minutes to get close to this bird um, with two other photographers, and it, it worked out. Um, we got, like, full-frame portraits. Um, I got one shot where it's, like, him on a willow and, like, the blank sky above, uh, and it was crazy. I mean, it was so much effort, but it was so, so worth it. Yeah, such cool birds, too. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's just cool hearing your, like, your dedication to it with just, you know, s you know, kind of sitting there or standing or just trying to be s as still as possible just so you can get these best shots of these birds, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and there's a reason that Gnome is for, you know, serious photographers. You, you know, like, biggest week, you know, it was easier to get photos. You know, it you basically go to the boardwalk, and if you have a good amount of skill, you know, and a good good enough autofocus system, you'll get shots. You know, here you're you're gonna have to work for it and have a guide that knows the locations for sure. 
Right. Yeah. Do do you? I mean, I, I think I know the answer to this, but like, do you think you could do this kind of trip without a guide? Like, how how do you how successful? Are now you? I now I can. So, you know, I, I took pictures of, um, you know, all the locations of interest, and you know, took notes and everything, and you know, he encouraged us to do that, you know, because that's you know part of what you're paying for. Right. Um, you, you definitely need a guide the first time though, or go with a buddy who may not be a guide but has experience. So, right. Yeah, yeah fair enough. Yeah, I mean, it definitely and helps. Really, aren't like if you're staying by yourself and known costs really aren't horrible for photography. You just have to reserve things about a year in advance. <laughs> Be committed early on. Yeah, but but I mean, it makes sense. I bet it's pretty touristy kind of area. I mean, Alaska in general, probably. Uh, not no. There were barely any tourists. The only tourists there were other birders. Really? Um, there okay. Barely anybody. I mean, we there was one other uh, birding group there. Actually, Ben Newt was in that group. A pretty famous photographer. I got to meet him. He was leading a group. Uh, and there was one other group, Matthew Studebaker. I don't know if you've heard of him, but I, I had heard of him online before. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty small. So it's, I mean, there were never other groups shooting with us ever. So, right. It, there was no like overlap per se with the groups. No. You guys Cause are... you're going 50 to a hundred, even 150 miles into the wilderness. You won't see anybody else. Yeah. You won't yeah. hear any planes. You won't hear any cars. You'll only smell the fresh mountain air. So that's that, that is so cool. Yeah. Did you guys ever like camp at all? Or is it just kind of like, you know, lodging in hotels? No, no, I, I, to be honest, I wasn't, comfortable camping in the tundra um, and it was nice to have a hotel um, get four hours of sleep at night generally three to four hours and then get you know one to two midday in between shooting we do a morning and an evening shoot so right yeah take advantage of all that you know golden hour light of course for sure for sure we'd shoot you know eight to nine to ten hours each shoot so it was pretty intense but, I mean, that's the way they do it, especially if you drop yourself in a location like that, um, especially for, like, your first time. You know, it's kind of like you want to get familiar with it, immerse yourself into it, and, uh, you know, maximize your shooting time, of course, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, You know, that's definitely the ideal schedule for me, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, another, another um, amazing bird was the Arctic Warbler. Very rare bird. Mm -hmm. Um, very cool to see. Got some really good looks at that. Um, they were challenging in some locations, but one we went to, they came right up. Um, so we weren't complaining. Um, and got really good shots of that. Um, and the blue throat came back. It was in the blue throat spot and got pretty good, like, small and frame blue throat stuff. Worked with that for a while. Um, and then after that shoot, we saw a female moose. So, kind of a cherry on top there <laughs> on the on the bird cake uh -huh. <laughs> weirdest yes. analogy but you get the point yeah uh -huh. that's really cool uh, right? yeah you yeah got, got a variety of different mammals throughout the trip you know besides the birds of course too yeah, just muskox and moose and the fox yeah and fox yes yeah, sorry <laughs> <laughs> can't forget uh, that yeah yeah um also there's snipes everywhere so that was fun you know, we even did some snipe stuff in town, which was awesome. That's cool. Yeah. Um, Savannah sparrows, really cool. And they, I don't know, their colors seem to pop more in them. I may be crazy, but I really think they are more colorful there. <clears throat> more colorful there. Excuse me. Um, yeah, yeah, beautiful sparrows. Beautiful. Yeah, they're, they're a nice grassland one. Um, we get them around here. I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever actually seen one, though. But, yeah, to know, like, how... I guess colorful their plumage is at least. Mm. Um, Lapwing lawnspurs were mm. pretty common, um, especially out on that beach road. Um, we got a pretty good shot of that. I got a front lid and a back lid in the same scene. I'm really happy with that. Um, yeah, so those are those are cool for sure. Um, let's see what else here. Um. Uh... Yeah, uh, long-tailed Jaegers, um, pretty everywhere. Um, I even had one land on the Alaska sign. Um, I think that'll probably be like the promo image for this episode, honestly. The Alaska <laughs> with a long-tailed Jaeger on it. Right. Uh, 
but it's kind of like a quintessential Alaska shot. Um, we saw Aleutian terns, which are very rare. Normally are only in the Aleutian Islands. Um, and we caught them in breeding display. Um, it, this was at a tern colony on the last day, so we worked with Arctics too, just flying around. And that is so cool to just work with a tern colony that close. That's really an experience like no other. That's just awesome. This is the variety of birds you're seeing too, and everything. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just the opportunities and just the knowledge you gain from just even just this one trip. Just everything you just learn, and you you take it with you, and you take it back to all your other shooting you do elsewhere. But also, if you go back here when you do, I mean, that's just really cool. Yeah, I think I'll definitely go back in the next. I'd like to go back in the next five years at some point, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, we ended off. I got one more bird here. We ended off the trip with a a, nord a northern weed eater on the final morning. Cool. Kind of like a shrike. Um, so it's really cool. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Yeah, I I mean, how like overall like how was the trip? You know, what would you guess? Not really give it a rating, but like, you know, what was your favorite parts? Maybe your favorite birds. Maybe things you would, like, maybe learning lessons and things you'd, like, I don't know, change if you went back. Um, so my favorite bird was the, the blue throat, um, just because of the colors, um, and the, probably the ptarmigan. Mm -hmm. Um, if I changed anything, um, I would bring a floating blind. Now that I'm in the floating blinds, I saw the potential of those tundra ponds. I would bet based on my experiences in Michigan, that you could get right up to all these waterfowl in the floating blind. Um, that was probably the only, my only, not complaint, just the only thing with the trip. It's hard to get close to waterfowl no matter what state you're in. Um, you know, you'd see pintails and, you know, they'd fly away instantly. Um, and the loons are pretty skittish. So I think a floating blind would remedy that, or even waders. Um, but besides that, you know, I was happy with everything I got. Uh, amazing trip, you know, just a beautiful environment. Uh, I would say definitely be a birder or, a, yeah, definitely be a birder to go because the muskox aren't going to entertain you for a week. Um, you got to have you know, that birding eye too or a landscape photographer. If you're in the landscapes, you could, you could do some great stuff here. Uh, but, yeah, definitely be one of those. Uh, even if you're just a, you know, a binocular guy or a spotting scope person. You can go out to these areas and scope out the different types of turns. Um, we, our guide had a scope, um, and uh, we actually got a record for gnome that had never been seen before. Um, it was a red-faced cormorant. Uh, never been seen before. Or no, sorry, it was not red-faced. It was a pelagic cormorant. Never had been seen before in gnome. I, I e-birded it, and I got a bunch of angry emails, but it turns out, Ben Newt himself saw the same thing a day later, um, so it got confirmed, and he was able to get a photo. I was not, but so that was pretty cool. We wow. got the freaking record, um, so that was a highlight for sure too. Yeah, that that's awesome, man. You, I mean, you basically made history, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why are people angry? Because like they didn't get to see it, or like were they thinking they didn't wrong? believe me? And they uh, really mad. Okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. That's a bummer, especially it's it's tough though. It's a tough sell if you don't get a photo of it or audio. Like, and you, uh -huh. you put that sighting out on eBird, people might you'd be like, "What? No, it's impossible." Yeah, I mean, it is a serious birder place, so you'll run into some serious people, and yeah, it's 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 a good thing most of the time too. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's yeah. a reason why it's so conserved, and it's uh, you know you're not going to find any birding help in town unless you find a guide because the, the locals know about the muskox but they don't i mean they've never seen the blue throat or anything um just because you have to hike and then wait for the blue throat i mean you'll never see it unless you have binoculars i mean right uh, so I mean, stuff like that you really need a guide for yeah uh, at least how many miles were you like you hiking overall like per day or something oh so the, the trip was not really marketed at hiking they you know, maybe two miles most. It was it's pretty yeah. easy. When yeah. I say hiking, it was more just going slightly off road and kind of moving through the willows. Right. I mean, that's yeah, pretty manageable. I think for most people, that would sign up for like 
a trip like this, of course. Yep, mm-hmm. for sure. It, it was nice, you know, not to... Because if you hike, you know, you can't guarantee, you know, if the location's close to the road, that's the, for the best. Because in these willows, um, there are bears. They love living in the willows. There's moose that will trample you. So you really want to stay as close to the road as possible. Um, and there's, you know, sinkholes, you know, tundra ponds you could fall into. So it's close to the road as possible. And with a train, I would only go off-road with a um, experienced person. Um, you know, bring a walking stick or something. You know, kind of stick ahead of you. Make sure you're not going to sink in because there is some boggy areas, of course. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, how often were you shooting from just the vehicle? Um, I was being a young person. I was in the very back most of the time, so I would not be able to really take vehicle shots because the there was no back window that could roll down. I could look out. I couldn't roll it down. Mm. Um, but we would just all like kind of sprint out of the van i would pop out the back everybody else would go out the main doors <laughs> you covered um, it worked pretty well i never missed anything because of that right yeah a bit that stuffy and you know, the group politics you kind of settle at the beginning of the trip like uh-huh. all right henry you get the rear <laughs> i did get to the front a couple times but okay yeah that's good uh-huh. you get to see the sightings first sometimes at least that way yeah mm-hmm. yeah no but the back had like really good windows so just driving and watching. I mean, I didn't bring my phone on these trips, on the tours, which was nice. So I wouldn't have my phone for like 10 hours. And it was so nice. I wouldn't even have a book or anything. Because just looking at the tundra is like oh yeah, like better than any TV show I've ever watched. <laughs> like it's, I'm, I'm serious. Like I was uh, so entertained. I never napped in the car or anything. I just watched. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd imagine that too. It's just like you're just running like pure adrenaline and excitement, mm-hmm. you know, and there, you know, there's no dull moment. Like there's always something to see mm-hmm. out there too. And he'd have his, the guide would have his locations, but also he'd have us look constantly, you know, mm-hmm. like we found the second blue throat spot just because, um, one of the tour participants spotted it, you know, it saw it doing its display from the road. Um, so we found that new spot and it actually ended up being even better. So stuff like that, you know, we're constantly watching, um, and it worked out very well. Yeah, that, that's really cool, man. Yeah. Yeah, so kind of to wrap it up here, it's, it was an amazing trip. I'd highly recommend it. Um, I'm going to be getting these gnome photos out soon if you guys want to see it. And, of course, there will be a slideshow on here. I'll try to do my favorites on the slideshow, get some muskox, get some landscapes, and, of course, get some of the birds. Um, and yeah, thank you guys for listening. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for watching the Owl Outdoors Photography Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the video version on YouTube as well. You can subscribe down below, and we look forward to seeing you in the next one. Thank you.